You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The op-tempo of the war's cyber phase and Ukraine's response, organizing and equipping hacktivists, a joint warning on Zeppelin ransomware, an update on the Do Not Team, Rewards for Justice offers $10 million for information on Conti operators, Rob Boyce from Accenture shares insights from Black Hat, Caleb Barlow ponders closing the skills gap while shifting to remote work, and hey, Mr. Target, pick one, okay? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, August 12, 2022. The cyber phases of Russia's hybrid war continue, and attendees at Black Hat received a glimpse of how it's proceeding from a senior Ukrainian official who made a surprise appearance. Reuters reports on remarks delivered at the Black Hat Conference in Las Vegas this Wednesday by Viktor Zora, deputy head of Ukraine's State Special Communications Service. He said that detection of cyber attacks had more than tripled since the war began in February and that they became particularly intense in late March and early April. Reuters summarizes Zora as saying... Ukraine faced a number of huge incidents in cyberspace from the end of March to the beginning of April, including the discovery of the Indestroyer 2 malware, which could manipulate equipment in electrical utilities to control the flow of power. Zora also acknowledged the pro bono cloud services provided by Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, which have helped the Ukrainian government back data up in physically safe servers abroad. Partisans have been increasingly active against Russia during its war in Ukraine, and they've been working in both physical and cyberspace. The record has an account of the work of Nikita Nish, an alumnus of Ukraine's security service and founder of the cybersecurity consultancy Hack Control. Nish took it upon himself to support hacktivists, cyberpartisans, who wish to hit Russian interests and assets in cyberspace. 
He sees cyberpartisans as filling a Ukrainian capability gap. Nish told the record, I realized that we should take control of the situation. Our government didn't have a cyber army, so we built it ourselves. Part of enabling the partisans to take effective action is training them. A website Nish established, Hack Your Mom Academy, offers a kind of handbook through cyber conflict, and it's available in Ukrainian, Russian, and English. The record writes, Some lessons are simple. How to install an antivirus program, connect to a VPN, or use a virtual machine. Others are more advanced, such as how to conduct distributed denial-of-service attacks or hack Russian cameras and Wi-Fi routers. Hacktivists and cyber-partisans occupy a gray area similar to one their kinetic counterparts live in. Just conduct of a war generally requires that combatants use proper discrimination in their selection of targets and that they operate under some form of responsible command. In the loosey-goosey hacktivist world, it's not clear that these conditions are always or even generally met. Still, Nish seems clearly right to maintain that enemy assets in cyberspace represent legitimate potential targets. He said, Not attacking your enemy in cyberspace is stupid. In the past, soldiers destroyed logistics and production facilities, but now they also attack technology and information. The U.S. FBI and CISA have released a joint advisory on Zeppelin ransomware. Developed from the Delphi-based Vega malware family, Zeppelin is a ransomware-as-a-service offering that's used to target a wide range of businesses and critical infrastructure organizations, including defense contractors, educational institutions, manufacturers, technology companies, and especially organizations in the healthcare and medical industries. It gains access to its victims either through phishing or by RDP exploitation of known sonic wall firewall vulnerabilities. Zeppelin is typically used in double extortion attacks, exfiltrating files before encrypting them, and so adding the threat of doxing to the denial of access to data. The advisory includes a comprehensive list of indicators of compromise, as well as recommended mitigations. Morphosec researchers have published an updated and detailed account of the tactics, techniques, and procedures of the Do Not Team, or APTC-35, a cyber espionage operation that concentrates on military, government, and diplomatic targets in South Asia, and especially in India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, and Bangladesh. The researchers say, for initial infection, the Do Not team uses spear phishing emails containing malicious attachments. To load the next stage, they leverage Microsoft Office macros and RTF files, exploiting equation editor vulnerability and remote template injection. The group has recently added new modules to its Windows framework. The Do Not team is also known as Viceroy Tiger and has, as CrowdStrike and others have pointed out, an ambiguous connection with India. CrowdStrike's entry on the threat group says, Viceroy Tiger is an adversary with a nexus to India with a long history of targeted intrusion activity, targeting entities in a range of geographies and sectors. Industry reporting from 2013 linked the adversary to an India-based security company, since that time, Viceroy Tiger operations have continued with the use of custom malware families with a heavy focus on targeting Pakistan, other countries in the South Asia region, and China. And finally, the U.S. Rewards for Justice program 
has offered a reward of up to $10 million for information on a variety of bad actors, some of them connected with the Conti ransomware and privateering operation, or Conti alumni, depending on how you read the gang's present hibernation. In any case, it's the natural person and not the organization that's the target. The U.S. Department of State has tweeted its offer in both Russian and English, saying, The U.S. government reveals the face of a Conti associate for the first time. We're trying to put a name with the face. To the guy in the photo, imagine how many cool hats you could buy with $10 million. Write to us via our Tor-based tip line. The alleged Conti hoods, who go by the hacker name Tramp, Dandis, Professor, Rashave, and Target, are specifically mentioned and invited to turn their coats. Target is the one with the taste in hats, Foggy Bottom admires. They say, If you have information that ties hacking groups such as Conti, Trickbot, Wizard Spider, the hackers known as Tramp, Dandis, Professor, Rashave, or Target, or any malware or ransomware to a foreign government targeting U.S. critical infrastructure, you may be eligible for a reward. Target is the guy shown wearing the hat. There are no pictures of the other four. To judge from his picture, Mr. Target is a belt-end suspenders kind of guy. In addition to the cool hat, he seems to be wearing the obligatory hoodie. Now relax, Target. You can chill, wear a chapeau, or pull up the hood. Either one works, so don't be so nervous. The $10 million reward is twice what the Rewards for Justice program offered Monday for information on North Korean operators using cryptocurrency mixers like Tornado Cash to launder money. So that's twice the reward, which could buy twice as many hats. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
And it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show Robert Boyce. He is the global lead of Cyber Crisis and Incident Response Services at Accenture. Rob, it's always great to welcome you back. Hi, Dave. It's great to be back. Thank you. So you are coming to us uh, from the Black Hat conference there, and I wanted to check in on a couple of things. First of all, just your overall take of of that conference this year, Uh, but then let's touch on some of the things you and your uh, colleagues are up to from Accenture there. Sure. Great. Well, I guess first, my first impression is it's really great to be back. So we've missed this show for the last few years at its full capacity, and it seems like, you know, we have great attendance this year. Um, a lot of people and, you know, the sessions have been really fascinating. Um, so it's been, it's been just great to be back. Um, you know, my, my impressions uh, so far of, you know, things, I think there's a lot of things that we've seen are, you know, uh, pretty similar to what you would expect. A lot of new vendors, a lot of emerging technologies in the security space in the vendor hall and business hall. You know, but one thing that I find a little interesting to me is we're still, you know, I feel like we're still solving problems that exist today. You know, like where we're, there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, new companies emerging around ransomware resiliency and data protection and all of the, you know, the threats that we've seen over the last year and addressing that. And I've seen, you know, very few think uh, forward looking on, you know, what are the next level of threats? What do we need to be solving next? And so I find that a little fascinating. Um, yeah, but it's been it's been, yeah, it's just as I said, it's just great to be back. Yeah, one of the things I, I enjoy about a conference like that is kind of walking around those booths that are at the far edges where you have you know, the, the smallest booth where somebody has an idea that they think they're going to change the world with. And you know, I know Black Hat has that innovation section. Uh, have you been through there? I mean, is is that the, the place where you'd expect to see some of these emerging ideas? Yeah, for sure. It's almost like, you know, going to a grocery store, staying on the, the aisles on the outside as opposed to going mm. through the middle. Because I do find that, you know, the vendors who are well-placed in the market already are the ones who have the big, uh, the big exhibitions in the front. Right. And then the ones who are just emerging without the, you know, without the money, I guess, behind them yet on the outside are really, I think, the most fascinating ones to me where to spend some time um, and just learning about what they're what they're all about. And so, yeah, we've seen, you know, I've seen a few um, that are thinking about things a little differently. Um, We're seeing a lot of um, uptick, I think, with ICS security, OT security. A lot of vendors, uh, I mean, there's a couple of well placed in the market, but there's so much work to do there that, you know, there's a pretty good. Uh, focus on that, I would say, from some of the emerging vendors. Um, yeah. What is your strategy coming at a conference like this? You know, you've got a limited amount of time, so much to see, people you want to see. How do you juggle a schedule? Yeah, it's, it's funny. We were just joking about this earlier. It's it's pretty impossible. So my strategy is there's always a few individuals that uh, or organizations or partners that I want to make sure I spend time with because they're you know super meaningful us to us as a as a partner and they're you know leading the market and and what they're what they're doing. Um, and then I always save time, a few hours a day, to just as you were saying earlier, walk the floor and talk to the emerging vendors because I think that, again that's the space that interests me a lot of you know things that maybe I'm not thinking about right now, or we're not thinking about as a community that, you know, there's a couple of smart people just putting together a really interesting concept and interesting idea. So making sure you save time for them uh, is is really important. And just, you know, just going and seeing their booth where it is and, you know, they have no idea who I am and I don't know who they are, but it's exciting to just to get to, you know, meet them and learn about what they're, uh, what they're doing. And, you know, always, uh, again, the thing that's most important to me being here is just a personal connection. It's just so nice to see people in person again, and you can learn, uh, a lot more about not just them, but what they're doing and you know, wh- where they think there's issues and the problems they're trying to solve. Just with a 10-minute conversation as opposed you know, to a 40-minute, an hour-long demo or something that's all virtual. So 
know, the high touch is really, really great. Is there anything particular that, that's caught your eye as you've been walking around and, and meeting with people? Uh, any surprises or, or particularly uh, interesting developments? Yeah, I, I think, you know, again, as I was saying earlier, I think the biggest surprise to me is we're still a lot of people dealing with known problems, right? I haven't really seen a lot of, um, you know, companies emerging that are dealing with problems that really don't exist yet or thinking about, you know, what might be next around maybe personal data sovereignty or, you know, privacy or whatever the, you know, the next big thing is going to be. Um, so that's a, that was a bit of a surprise to me personally. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, I think clearly it's maybe not a surprise, it probably makes a lot of sense with all of the focus um, that we've seen around uh, critical infrastructure and a lot of the systems that are going to be supporting critical infrastructure, a lot of focus on how do we do that better as a community. Um, so I thought that was really interesting to see, again, a few a number of different players emerging in that space and really putting a lot more focus on how we can better protect you know, national security and critical infrastructure. I thought that was fascinating. All right. Well, Robert Boyce is Global Lead for Cyber Crisis and Incident Response Services with Accenture. Rob, thanks so much for taking the time for us. Of course. Always happy to be here, Dave. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Caleb Barlow. He is the CEO of Silite. Uh, Caleb, always great to welcome you back to the show. I want to touch base today on the ongoing skills gap. You know, obviously we've been through a lot with the pandemic the past couple of years, remote work and all that good stuff. Where do you think we stand right now? Well, the, the easiest way to get a benchmark on this, and by the way, I'm just a fanboy of this website they're going to mention, is called CyberSeek. And, you know, they've got this really cool map that tracks where there are open, unfilled cybersecurity jobs. You can even drill down into an individual state. And from their April 2020 to heat map, they show we've got 700,000 open cybersecurity jobs in the U.S. and just under 1.1 million that are filled. So the net of this is we're only filling about 60% of the openings that we have Hmm. in the cybersecurity space. But Dave, I think this is even more nuanced in that prior to the pandemic, there were several kind of cyber cities, right? San Francisco, Boston, Tel Aviv, Washington, D.C., and, you know, you found smaller clusters in places like Atlanta, Austin, New York, where prior to the pandemic, big security companies, big security operations, defense contractors typically only hired high talent in those cities in an in-office work environment, right? And we, mm. you know, we all kind of know this. So if you were an employer in, let's say, Peoria or Rochester, you were able to hire locally and you were probably able to get security resources at a significant discount over their Boston, D.C., and San Francisco counterparts. So this is what we would call a regional model, 
where cyber cities were driving a big part of this skills issue. Pandemic hits, work from home open up, opens up, and the whole thing starts to change. And now we've moved to more national model, Dave, with some interesting implications. Hmm. Well, let's dig in there. I mean, what, what does that mean for, uh, for organizations these days? Well, this has been a big windfall for big employers as they can suddenly get access to talent and a greater number of resources from anywhere. Because all of a sudden, if you're in a work-from-home culture, that security researcher in Rochester, New York, is viewed equally as that security researcher in San Francisco because nobody cares where they live. It's also been a, you know, a windfall for the talent living in these places because they can go from working in an IT department, let's say a local hospital, to working for a Palo Alto or a CrowdStrike or a Google and probably see a pretty significant bump in pay. But it's a huge problem for local employers looking to hire. And it's moved a mm. lot of resources out of critical infrastructure companies where we badly need them and into security vendors that are willing to pay regardless of where people live. So what's to be done then? I mean, how do we close that gap? Well, we've got this new problem, right? Cybersecurity skills are now being hired on a national model versus a regional model. Everyone's competing with everybody else equally on talent. And that talent, by the way, doesn't care where they live anymore. So they're all, you know, moving to the beach, right? Or wherever they want to live. So, you know, if you're not a large vendor with big pockets, I think one of the things you've got to recognize is top skills like threat hunt and IR, you may need to outsource those skills because you, you simply may not be able to hire them regardless of what you're willing to pay or do. Highly experienced resources are simply going to cost more. But we, this also means that we have to start recruiting differently. And in particular, Dave, we've got to move from trying to recruit highly skilled talent to moving towards reskilling people. And I think a reskilling initiative is absolutely critical moving forward. Yeah, you know, I, I hear that a lot, that, um, you know, companies want their new employees to come in fully baked, and there really, there really isn't enough emphasis on finding good people and training them from within. Well, not only that, but our, you know, let's face it, in the cybersecurity space, we have a demographics challenge that we're always working on. And I think we're making progress on in terms of being, bringing more diversity into this workspace. But, you know, what I'm effectively saying here is, in a lot of ways, we need to go out and hire some older talent, right, that, you know, might have more experience, but not necessarily directly in cybersecurity. Maybe they're IT resources. I will tell you, I have personally had a lot of great luck with military veterans, older individuals, uh, musicians. Oddly mm. enough, musicians make amazing sock resources, because they yeah. know how to operate with precision, right? Um, right. But we're going to have to really take all of that time and effort that we spend right now on, you know, on recruiters and, you know, just crazy amounts of money to try to bring people in and start to maybe put that into training and upskilling people that aren't the normal demographic of what we would hire. Do you think we're headed towards a new equilibrium here? Like how, any, any sense for our timeline? Oh, I think we're already in it. I, 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 there's no question in my mind that we are already in it. And, you know, what I hear, oddly enough, every day is the, you know, people reaching out in my network saying, hey, do you know anybody that fits this mold? And, and, you know, the funny thing with it is, Dave, a lot of times that mold is, you know, hey, I'm looking for top talent, you know, 
have they, have they worked in one of these Silicon Valley companies, you know, a Facebook, a CrowdStrike, a Palo Alto? Do they have 20 plus more years of experience? I'm like, you can't afford that person. Even if you can find them, you're not going to be able to afford them. I'm like, how about mm. you take a portion of that money and upskill either some of the people you already have or go look in your local community and find some people that, you know, maybe if they take a class or they're coming out of a class, you can give them six months of on-the-job training and then upskill them into these roles. The beauty there is they're probably going to cost you a whole lot less. They're going to be much more loyal employees and have far less retention issues than the others. And you might be able to solve some of the other challenges of you know the demographics and diversity of what you're bringing into your workplace. All right. Well, interesting insights as always. Caleb Barlow, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Ashley Taylor. She's a graduate student at the Sands Technology Institute, and the research is titled Doppelgangers, Finding Job Scammers Who Steal Brand Identities. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Liz Irvin, Rachel Gelfin, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.